the mountain. Sacrifice. Provision. The place that strips your vanity. of decision. It demands all of you. Where the spirit is tested and the veil is lifted. In the shadow of the mountain, you find who you really are. In the valley, the man behaves. On the summit, he beholds. What is up, Red Rocks Church? That's such a hard voiceover to follow. <laughs> In the valley, a man behaves. And I'm like, hey guys, how we doing? No more videos like that, team. You guys doing good? We gonna have a good weekend at church? I love it. It won't be good though if we don't greet everyone at Evergreen and Lakewood and Arvada, of course, Littleton, our friends across the pond at our Brussels campus. We love you guys. And let's give an incredible round of applause for all the men and women at God Behind Bars. Love you guys so much, so much. So we're going to jump right in. This weekend is an incredibly uh, important weekend as it relates to the landscape of our nation. Our nation is, uh, I don't know if you feel it or not, but it's in a bit of a battle right now. We're split on so many things. We're divided on so many things. I would say our nation right now is uncertain kind of about who we are. I've kind of called it this since we're only 400 years old. We're not like an adult nation yet. We're in a nation that I think just hit puberty and puberty's awkward and you're kind of still a kid, but you're trying to become a young man or a young woman, and you're not quite sure about your parents' old rules, and you're kind of working on your new thoughts about rules, and and it causes a lot of confusion, and you know what? Puberty ultimately causes a lot of awkwardness. And for the first time, you see that your body or our country has had the ability to produce some blemishes, and you don't love everything that you see in the mirror, and that is where we're at in the landscape of America right now. And the reason I bring that up is because this weekend is profoundly important because in our nation, it's all coming to a head this weekend. It's coming to a head. It's inevitably, as it comes to a head this weekend, and we need to pray about it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is serious stuff, and it's not what you think when I'm talking about a divide in our nation. I'm not talking about Democrat and Republican. I'm not talking about black and white. I'm not talking about gay or straight. I'm not talking about Christian or secular. I'm talking not just about two things colliding. I'm talking about two people colliding, two names Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, right? Guys, no, put that picture up, man. There we go. Look at that. Guys, we need to pray for our nation. It's about to happen this weekend. I almost called in sick, and I'm supposed to be up here. 
I'm giddy. You guys are off the hook. You're like, oh, not a political talk, please. Please, we came to get away from that. No, no, no. This is, this is Mayweather McGregor, way more important. This is supposed to break. You guys, most of you know this. This is supposed to break all of the records. In one day, over half a billion dollars are going to be made this weekend for a fight between two people to see who the better man is. What's wrong with us humans, right? We're going to contribute in one day over a half a billion to watch two guys slug it out in a ring. It's going to break all records as far as the gate's concerned. It used to be the Mayweather-Pacquiao. They made $72 million a little over a year ago. They're predicting this is going to be right around an $80 million gate. That's just what happens in the arena as far as finances are concerned. That's crazy, right? It's going to break all pay-per-view records, they said. And really what it is, it's two men. Here's why it's going to break all the records. It's two men in their respected sports that are very similar but also very different if you know about those sports. And they're both at the top of the food chain in their particular arenas. And they're coming head to head to see who the better man is. And a couple years ago, earlier in Conor McGregor's career, he had just won an incredibly important fight that was going to, I believe, set him up to have a championship fight next to, to go for the belt. And he was being interviewed right after the fight in the ring like they always do. And the interviewer asked him a question because he was still kind of new on the scene from Ireland. And he asked him, he said, hey, Conor, What's it like now as a young fighter, and he said this, to take part in the UFC? And this is when, this is when I knew this kid was going to be great. He grabbed the microphone, didn't say a word to him, and with such intensity and with complete conviction, he looks at the whole crowd, thousands of people, and he says, I didn't come to take part. I came to take over. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I love this kid, right? Like, he won over not just Ireland. He already had Ireland. He won over a nation when he said that. He said, I didn't just come to take part. I came to take over. And that's going to be the title of our message this weekend. Because here's exactly. <laughs> yes, thank you. How can I be serious after that? This was my transition where I go, and Jesus, 2,000 years ago. But I'm, I stand by this. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> when he came down as a baby and grew into a man, and when he got up on that cross, and when he was put in the grave, and three days later, he did what no one else has ever done. He literally conquered death forever. Do you know the message he was saying? It was like he grew up, grabbed the mic that this world has in the arena called Planet Earth, and he said, I didn't come here to take part. I didn't come here to be a part in your life. I came to take over your life. I didn't just come to save you. That's the first thing I came to do because everything else is in vain if I don't save you. He said, I came to, I, I came to be your Lord. I don't know if you understand what the word Lord is. I'm not talking down to an Abbey Lord, like, hello, my Lord. No, no. <laughs> when Jesus is called Lord, here's exactly and unapologetically what it means. It means ruler. It means owner. It means master of all domain. That is who Jesus is, the name above every name. That at that knee, everyone someday is going to bow. And so Jesus says, listen, if you want a God that just wants part of you, you got the wrong guy. 
Because I didn't just shed innocent divine blood for part of you. I shed innocent and divine blood to have all of you. And Jesus would show us throughout life, there's no sweeter spot to be in life than when you are constantly coming back to a surrendered heart with Jesus. And so we're going to do this. We're going old school in this series, The Mountain. If you're visiting at all of our campuses, we just started a new series called The Mountain. And we're looking for a few weeks at some of the most profound mountain moments and what they teach us. And so I'm going to go to one of my favorite moments because it's got that fight feel. And I thought that was appropriate for this weekend. This, after David and Goliath, would have been the next fight to break all the pay-per-view records if they had that back then. Clearly, before what we're going to read, David and Goliath would have taken all of the box office records But I would say after we're done reading this one, you're going to see that this one may have captured those records. This is awesome. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Before we read the first verse, we're going to start in verse 16. I got to give you some backdrops so you know what's about to happen. The nation of Israel was in an extremely awful and precarious situation because they have just at the point where we pick up been enduring a drought for the last three some years. Here's why. The most important figure in their nation asked God to make it quit raining. Literally, we can can romanticize the story. We can underthink it. Literally, families, children, people were dying because of starvation. You go three years in the ancient world without any water from heaven, and you're done. You do that in the common world, and it's going to have some unthinkable effects. Three years without rain in the nation of Israel because the prophet, a guy named Elijah, who's fighter number one in this... Elisha says, God, make it stop. And what he's doing in calling for a drought, he's calling for judgment on Israel because they had gotten so neck deep into idolatry. The nation of Israel at this time was ruled by a guy named King Ahab. And the Bible says two chapters earlier in chapter 16, I believe, verse 30, that no one before King Ahab had been as evil of a king of Israel as him. And one of the reasons he was horrible on his own. But he also had something that we don't see a lot in the Bible. He had a horribly wicked wife. It's usually the dude's fault in the Bible. And now. We're going we're to talk a lot about her in part two next week. Her name's Jezebel. She's the queen. She wasn't even an Israelite, and she's got the most important position in Israel. You know things aren't going to good in a nation when you're not even a member of the nation and you're in charge. And so what she did is she brought from her native land all of their polytheistic gods and all of the God worship. And so the God of the government of Israel, if you can imagine this at the time, is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the closet God. They still worship him. They still have the festivals. They're still allowed to perform some of the rites and rituals of the law. But the, law, the, the, the chief religion, according to the government, is the religion of Baal. Baal worship. And then secondarily, the worship of a goddess named Asherah. And so it hasn't been raining. Things are going crazy. The word's gotten out that it's actually Elijah, the one who's praying to his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he didn't sell out like the rest of the nation. Word's gotten out that it's his fault that it's not raining. He's been in hiding in a cave basically during this whole drought because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to take his head off because he was causing this drought. And so he goes to another holy prophet named Obadiah and says, hey, I want you to go get King Ahab. And I want you to tell him to meet me right here. And this is where we pick up. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and he told him, And then Ahab, after he told him, went to meet Elisha. This is a big deal, right? This is three years of them trying to find him. And now he says, I want to talk to you. 
When he saw Elijah, King Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? You know what he's saying in that minute? You have destroyed a good thing we had going here and now everything is awful. We haven't had rain for three years. You've destroyed everything, you troubler of Israel. And in a minute, he's about to say, hey, no, you're the troubler of Israel. But I want to stop there and I want to just say this. A prophet of God in the Old Testament had this job to come and mix it up, to get froggy with the people when they're neck deep in rebellion, to remind them of why they're in a drought. He came here to say, I'm not the troubler. The only thing I came to trouble, you ready for this? Status quo. Because status quo in Israel right now was not honoring God. And that's what prophets do. So he says this, let's read. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. Elijah, in other words, you're the problem. It's a good press conference before the fight right here. He says, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Now, Baal is called in history the moon god, okay? That'll matter in a minute. Now, Baal, who was the, the chief form of worship in Israel at this point. Can you imagine a nation that was formed and made by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh himself, and he's not the chief God anymore? He got kicked off because of a God that can just help in one way that, of, of what God created? So Baal is the God of this. Two things really important. He's the God of rain, and he's the God of crops, and he's the God of fertility. God of rain. God of fertility. In other words, crops and kids, right? And in the ancient world, crops and kids are the most important thing to be prosperous. That was everything. So, so the God of Baal was it, man, because he's supposedly, if they do all their stuff right, he's supposed to bring rain to their land so they can all have crops and they can all have kids to help work those crops and everybody's happy and everybody has all they need and that's not happening and he's the moon God, okay? So he says, you, you've abandoned God's command and you've followed the Baals. Then he says this, now summon the people, he's about to give the rules for the fight. They're working out an agreement to have a big fight. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on, and here's the mountain as we're in this series, Mount Carmel. Mm, I love food. <laughs> I want to be on that mountain. Bring the 400, listen to this, bring the 450 prophets of Baal, and then also bring the 400 prophets, and here's the other God they worshiped, Asherah, who eats at Jezebel, Jezebel, remember she's the queen, the evil queen, who eat at her table. Now, Asherah is also a goddess. She's called the sun goddess. So we got the moon god and we got the sun goddess, right? She's the god of love, sensuality. Really what it was, if you read the history, was perversion. And she's the god of war, okay? So that's two. So we've got the moon god and the sun goddess as the two chief gods in Israel. And we just saw this last week. What happens when the moon and the sun collide? Darkness. I worked hard on that one, right? <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is not, Red Rocks, the type of eclipse you want. Two false gods that are doing nothing but destroying the people of Israel. And this is where we're at. And finally, God says, no more. I can't watch this anymore. So I'm going to use the prophet Elijah and his faith to go and have a showdown and show these people who I really am. It goes on to say this. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel, got everybody assembled, the prophets uh, on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said this. And here's a key line that we camp on this weekend. Ready? How long, imagine a, a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people at the, at the crest of this mountain just waiting for the fight of the century. Right? This is, this is awesome to watch. And he looks at them, all of them. Keep in mind, he's looking at Israel, God's kids. 
And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? He says this, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Like he's getting in their mugs. Because Israel does what we so often do. They've got one foot in the world. They've got one foot idolizing these gods that hopefully can bring them rain and kids and love and war, right? And help them be successful in all those things. And then they've got who they thought was their ancestors' original God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're publicly, according to the government, they're worshiping Baal and Asherah. But privately, they're still kind of involving a bunch of their ancestors' forms of worship and celebration. And Elijah says on behalf of God, absolutely no more. Because that will never get you what you want. One foot in the world and one foot out of the world. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He said, Red Rocks Church, no one can serve two masters. You don't get Yahweh half the day, half the week, half the month. And then you get Baal and Asherah half the day, half the week, half the month. That is not the God we serve. And that's why Elijah said, hey, it would actually ironically be better for you to just pick one because look where having one foot in the world and one foot with God look where that's gotten you three years of drought you guys are losing some of your children to this you're losing precious family members to this drought so he calls them out Jesus says no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other and particularly here he talks about the almighty dollar You cannot serve both God and money. He does not say you cannot have. That'd be weird if we all had to empty and get out here. I'm sorry, God, I won't have any more money, right? He didn't say you can't have. There's a big difference between having and serving, right? You either have money or your money has you. And Jesus is going, when your money has you, it is officially this thing called an idol. And idols in the end, no matter what you do to try and make them work for you, will never give you in this life what they promise you. So Jesus says, you can't serve two, you've got to pick. This is the God we serve. In James chapter 4, verse 8, James says this to a church that was wrestling between two opinions, still between Judaism and this new phenomenon that they were all coming to church for called Christianity. And so James talks a lot in his book about this. He says, come near to God. And he wrote this for a church much like ours in Jerusalem. He was the pastor. He says, come near to God and God will come near to you. And then he says this, and Elijah was going to say this to Israel, wash your hands, you sinners, purify you hearts. You ready for this? You double-minded. You people who keep wavering between Judaism and Christianity. And I'm telling you, if you keep trying to bring back the law when Jesus has fulfilled the law, it's going to stall everything that Jesus came to do in your life. It's not going to give you what you want. As sacred as it is and as beautiful as it is, we're not going to forget it, but we're not going to serve it, right? This is what they were going through. We go through all kinds of other different things than that, but the principle is the same. So we pick back up the story. In verse 22, Elijah then said to them, all the people, he said, am I the only one of the Lord's prophets left? But Baal has 450 prophets. I think this was him talking a little trash. Guys, you do realize it's one against 450 in this fight on this mountain. I just want you guys to understand that, and I'm completely okay with that. But I just want to make sure you know this guy who's been hiding in a cave and who's been starving for basically three years, who looks like nothing on the outside, and then you've got these powerful, wealthy well-fed, astute prophets of Baal, the, the government's God, 
You've got four. He, so I think he's just talking a little trash there. He says, do this. Get two bowls for us. Let the Baal's prophets choose for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. Elijah says, I will prepare the other bowl and I will put it on the wood, but I won't set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I love that lowercase g. And I will call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? You call on your, you call on your God and then I'm going to call on the God. All right. So do your thing, right? You go first. That's what he's saying here. And so they said this. They said this. Well, they can't say anything if I don't find it. Oh, and then he says this. He says, here's the rules. The God who answers by fire, he is the God, capital G. Then all the people said, we agree to these fighting terms. We like this. This is going to be fun. What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. He's bringing that up again. Call on the name of the Lord, your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal, listen to this, from morning till noon. So we're, we're four hours into this. They're trying to get fire to come down from heaven and they're trying to get that fire to literally incinerate that altar with that bowl on it, okay? That's the goal of this fight right here. So we're only four hours in and here's what they're doing. From morning till noon, they said, Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And then they danced. If you can't shout, you dance. This is clearly a group of Pentecostal prophets. They danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, I think Elijah was getting a little ADD, a little bit bored, and I love this. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Hey, why don't you shout louder? Surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Most of your Bibles will say, maybe he's relieving himself. I didn't say that. The, your, most translations say, maybe he's relieving himself. I love Elijah. Permission to trash talk, people. <laughs> trash talking is my sixth love language. Any of you read the five love, love languages? Number six for me is trash talking. I feel loved when me and my wife talk smack on each other. I love it. And that's exactly what he's doing here. I love it. He's talking trash on the enemy. And we're, we're about to do a whole talk next week on this exact idea. Listen to what he says next. He says, so here's what they did after he talked trash. He got in their heads, right? That, that talk trash moment is like when sometimes Conor McGregor puts his hands behind his back. He just dodges the punches of the other professional, really, really, really good fighter. And it makes the really, really good fighter try and fight harder. And the whole time, Conor knows what he's doing. He's trying to get that guy frustrated and he's trying to get that guy worn out. It's exactly what Isaiah, Elijah's doing. He's just going, hey, what's, what's going on with your God here? He's basically doing one of those, like, okay, swing harder. So that's what they do. So they shouted louder. Now, you got to understand the prophets of Baal aren't some nice guys who went awry. If you really study the story and the context of the Bible, these guys are enemies of the living God. These guys are pawns and workers of Satan. Let's not minimize who these guys are. And they're starting to shout louder. And you know what? This is exactly what the enemy of God does when he's threatened that one of God's kids is about to get a victory. And I watched so many people, myself included over the years, right on the brink of victory that God has for them and they don't even fully know it yet. They give up and they quit and they go backwards. Why? Because the enemy gets the loudest when God's about to show off the biggest in your life. 
And if you want to talk more about that, you got to come back next week because that's our whole talk. Okay, so the shouting louder didn't work, and now it's just getting, now you're just embarrassed. You ever watch a fight and it's getting so one-sided you get embarrassed for him? Here's where that happens. Now they slash themselves with swords and spears. Idiots. As was their custom. Dumb custom. Until their blood flowed. Midday passed. It's getting now afternoon. Past afternoon. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. Now, you ready to see what idols in our life do? Here it is. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. We just saw for almost eight straight hours of a work day, these holy prophets sweating, tearing up, and bleeding. Blood, sweat, and tears. Working so hard. Incantations. Prophetic incantations. They're slicing themselves. They're cutting themselves with swords and spears. They're shouting. They're dancing. They're doing everything that they were taught would trigger rain from their God and now hopefully fire from their God. And nothing's happening. You know why? Because this is a false God. There is only one true God and he is over all creation. Read the book of Job. It's all his. He owns every drop of rain. It's in a storehouse right now. And he decides when and where it goes. God, could you back down on Houston, please, right now? Amen. He decides if fire comes from heaven. Every bolt of lightning in the history is ordained and sovereign by God. Every one. The, these prophets have nothing. There's no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It says, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. It's Elijah's turn now. This is awesome. Now, now he's going to put the gloves on, right? They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes who have descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. He then said to them, fill four large jars, ready for this, of water, and pour it on the offering in the wood. Now, I'm no scientist, <laughs> nor a son of one. <laughs> I'm not a fireman, but I think I know what's in those hoses. And I think a good bulk of it, now we've got technology now and we've evolved a bit. And so there's chemicals in there that really help quench a fire. But you know what the bulk that's still coming out of those hoses are all these years later? Water. This is Elijah's going, man, our God is so, so powerful in ways we can't even fathom and understand. I'm just going to, I'm going to just drive the point home for these rebellious people so they'll be even more convicted in their idolatry. So not, not just pour it on right after that. You know what he says? Do it again. He said, they did it again. You know what he says after that? Let's do it a third time. He ordered and they did it a third time. The water ran down, uh, the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. You ready for this? Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God, capital G, in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And everybody said, amen, and then it happened. Now, we got to stop there. Earlier today, 
I read that prayer multiple times and I timed myself praying it. 20 seconds. Do you know what those guys did for eight hours? Danced, shouted, prophetic incantations, and then it got so nasty that they started cutting themselves and cutting each other. It got to the point of bloodshed on behalf of their God, fulfilling what they hoped he would fulfill, and got nothing after eight full hours of that in front of people. This is exactly what idolatry does in our lives. It makes you put in so much blood, so much sweat, so much tears that are unnecessary, trying to get something from a person or something from a material or something from an opportunity that it will never give you. Here's what idolatry is, because I keep saying this word, okay? And if you're new to church, I want you to understand this. Anytime there is a person or an object or material or there is an opportunity in life, and when it comes to obeying God's command for that person, opportunity or object, you choose to do what's right for what you think instead of following God's command in any area of life, you know that thing's an idol in your life. And we know in 1 John, man, he ends his book by saying, or 3 John, whatever it is, he ends by saying this, dear children, he was an old pastor at this time. He knew a lot about a lot of things. And he says, would you please keep yourselves from idols? Because he knows what Elijah knows and what God knows that they didn't know. Man, you will put so much blood, so much sweat, so much tears into to people and into objects and into opportunities. And if you place them above your worship and your love for God, those things are never going to pay attention to you. They're never going to answer you. They're never going to ultimately give you what you want from this life. Only God can do that. I love the fact that when you are truly and wholeheartedly devoted to God, do you know what calls down fire from heaven? A 20-second prayer. Not eight hours of dancing and being crazy. Not all this work, right? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest for your souls. I'm the God of the 22nd prayer. But let me tell you something, because some of you are going, I've done that before and it didn't work. Let me tell you why 22nd prayer works for Elijah. We're told in the book of, uh, of James chapter four. I think it's like verse 17 or something. And it's not coming up there, but I should have put it up there, but I'll, I'll do my best. It literally brings up this story, and it says, Elisha was a man just like you and I. In other words, what he did, you can do. And I know we go, no, not what he did. No, the power of prayer is what it's saying you can do. Because it says this, after that it says, the, the, the effectual and fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Do you want to know why that 22nd prayer worked? Do you want to know why Elijah had God's ear? Because God had Elijah's heart, his whole heart. God wasn't just the savior. He wasn't just the help in time of famine for Elijah. God was the God of his every day. God was the God of his every aspect of his life. Elisha, he wasn't perfect. We're gonna see that next week. Again, bring a friend. But man, he was a prophet of God. And there's one thing you look at his story, you can say undoubtedly, Elisha was wholeheartedly serving God. He was all in. He didn't just let God take part. He let God take over. And listen, when it says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. You'll get one foot in and one foot out and think you're just going to instantly have the ear of God. That's just not how it works. I wish it did. That'd be awesome. But man, when you are in tune with God and when you are wholeheartedly surrendered to God, man, his ear, your way just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because there is a trust that grows in your relationship with him for him to work in you, not only in you, but also through you. And that's why that prayer was so powerful. Here's what goes on to happen. Then the fire of the Lord fell. 22nd prayer. 
the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all of the people saw this, here's what happened. When fire comes from God, here's what happens to the human heart. They fell prostrate and cried. Think if after the knockout blow this weekend, whoever it is, Mayweather, McGregor, huge knockout, surprising knockout. We know who the decisive victor is. Everyone in that stadium in Vegas just falls to the ground and starts crying. Prostate. It would be because they are drunk, not because God's at work. (laughs) I know that fight scene. Not here, though. They saw the futility in serving false gods like they had never seen it before. Eight hours of all that craziness, doing nothing, and then a 20-second prayer from a humble prophet who looked like nothing on the outside. Again, he had been starving away in a cave for three years prior to this. He looked like nothing. He does that, and all they can do is remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their forefathers that they've gotten so far away from, and they cried this, the Lord, he is God, exclamation point. The Lord, he is God, exclamation point. And then here's what happens next. Then Elijah commanded them. This is an incredible teaching right here, what he says next on what it looks like to be people of repentance. If you've been going here much this year, one of the reoccurring themes that I can't get away from every time I come up here and preach is the message of repentance. Every time I'm trying to go to somewhere else, I just keep coming back. I don't know, this is, I, I'm praying that it's the, what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in our church this year. Because anytime you have a people of intentional and beautiful repentance, you're gonna have a people that are refreshed and a people that are fruitful and a people that eventually see rain again. And that's what I want for every single one of us at every single campus. And so I just keep talking about this message of repentance and I can't get away from it. And we get taught something powerful. We get something powerfully taught to us about repentance right here. Here's what Elijah commanded them to do now that the fight was over. Now that they had fallen and said, forgive us, God. You are the one true. That's the first step of repentance. Here's the second step of repentance. It's not just confession. What is it? Change. So here's what happens. Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. Not one of them. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley. And here's the word, slaughtered there. This was a reoccurring theme in the old covenant. And now we don't under, thank God under the new covenant, we don't slaughter people when they're trying to get us in idolatry, okay? Because most of our idols aren't typically people or nation or things, right? It's materials, it's stuff, it's, it's not a person. We don't do that, right, under the new covenant, thank God. But back then, these guys were pawns of Satan and he says not one of them is gonna continue to exist if we're gonna be people of repentance, And as people of repentance, it's not just enough to recognize an idol in your life and in your heart. You got to slaughter it. You got to make a faith-filled, scary, courageous decision to go, no more, never again. I tried that thing and it didn't pay attention to me. It never answered me back. And when I needed it most, it gave me nothing. But then we got the God of fire and it happened in 20 seconds. That's what we do when we repent. We call spades, spades, and we say, this this isn't giving me what I thought it was going to give me in life. God, would you forgive me? And then the second part is, God, I'm scared to death. I might do it again, and you might. We'll talk about that next week. Come back again. (laughs) 
But I'm here to tell you, man, the, the beautiful thing is when you say, God, take this from me and I want to change. I don't want that addiction anymore. I don't want that addiction anymore to drugs, to alcohol, to food, to success, to, 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 um, to overworking. I don't want that addiction to gambling. I don't want that addiction. And tonight, this weekend, a gambling, Conor McGregor, Floyd, stop it, people. Don't do that. There's better ways to spend your money. Got quiet? <laughs> Band, you guys can come on out. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Some of you at all of our campuses, you have something right now, and you keep saying sorry to God about it, and you refuse to slaughter it. Drastic measures. Doesn't that sound drastic when you read that? Because we don't, li- we don't live in societies like that. that. That's so foreign to us. You took those 450 guys, and you slaughtered them? Yeah, because they represented angels of Satan. And God says, we can't go forward in the way that I created you to go forward if you don't do destructive things to the things that tried to destroy you. And in that case, it was 450 prophets and the king and queen. What is it for you? Because God doesn't just want you to keep saying, I'm sorry. Don't you get exhausted saying sorry for the same old thing over and over and over? And I know there's a process to change, so I'm not trying to say, but I will tell you this. I've not only had to fight through things for decades in my life that God's trying to change, I've also prayed out to God and never had to struggle with it again. He does both. That's not up to you, that's up to him. But either way, I can promise you this. He wants the things that have tried to destroy you slaughtered, gone, done you got to be aggressive with it. Aggressive with it. I want to do this. I want to end with Jesus' words. I think that's the best way we can end. And he says the same thing in the book of Revelations that Elijah said on that mountain. Why do you waver between two opinions? Choose God or choose Baal. But don't keep doing this dance because that's what got you a three-year flood that destroyed people or a three-year drought, excuse me. He says, choose one or the other. And Jesus comes in the book of Revelation, and he has this encounter with John, and John writes this whole amazing book of worship and exaltation and honor to our king, the book called the Revelation. And in the beginning, he talks to a bunch of churches, and if there's one church of the seven churches he talks to, the one that I think most looks like America right now is the church that I'm about to read about. It's called the Church of Laodicea. Would you guys do this at every campus? Would you guys stand? This is such a powerful statement from Jesus. I think it deserves that we stand to attention. Jesus, when I read this, would you just do miracles in our church? Jesus, when I read your tough but beautiful words, would you change hearts and lives? God, I want everyone in our church so free. I want everyone in our church to thrive. I want everyone in our church to flourish the way you designed us to flourish. But we have to take heed of these words first. So Jesus, as I read this, I pray you'd start doing miracles. Send fire down, God. Send fire of your Holy Spirit down. We need help, God. We need change. It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry. People need to be done. They need that thing slaughtered in their life by the grace of God, mindsets, things, God, addictions, behaviors. Do it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Jesus said, write this. Remind him who's saying it. These are the words of the Amen, capital A. That's Jesus. 
Your Bibles will have these words in red. The faithful and the true witness, that's Jesus. The ruler of God's creation, that's also Jesus. And Jesus says this to the church. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. In other words, why are you wavering between two opinions? So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say this. Sound, tell me this doesn't sound like our nation. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. Jesus says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. See, Jesus wants them rich, just not the way they're going about it. Rich has a totally different definition in the kingdom of God. It's not the amount of dollars you have. It's not the amount of material possessions you have. It's not the amount of plaques you have on the wall. Rich in the kingdom of God is a person that is vibrant and full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You show me someone walking powerfully in that and I will show you someone that says no matter what they have or don't have, man, I feel rich every day. Doesn't matter. You have a smallest house in Denver and if you got those things living in this house, you're like, man, I'm super rich. Super rich. That's what Jesus wants for you. He says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold from the gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear. That's purity. He's offering people salvation. He's offering them forgiveness. He's offering them total righteousness through the work of what he did on the cross. He says, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can really see. He says, those whom I love, because didn't, didn't, that, didn't that just get real, real and real harsh? And you're like, Jesus said that? I thought we're New Testament. That's Old Testament, right? But listen to me. Jesus says this, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. None of what he just said is because he's not for you. It's because he's totally for you. And if you're one foot in the world and one foot out and you think that's gonna get you rich, you're greatly mistaken. And so he says these harsh things to that church and to us. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, exclamation point. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus wants so desperately, not just to take part in your life. He wants to take over everything, relationships, finances, extracurricular activities, careers, destinies, dreams. He wants every compartment of your life and he doesn't just want a say in it. He wants to be Lord, ruler, master, name above every name. He wants to be everything. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, you qualify. Men and women that got behind bars, you qualify. You, there's nothing you can do to not qualify this side of heaven for heaven. <laughs> You don't get to out-sin the grace of God. He paid the ultimate finished work and his blood is better than your bad blood. And he says, anyone who, who will open up the door, listen to this, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That's awesome. Just as I was victorious 2,000 years ago and sat down with my father on his throne and he says this and I say this to our church. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to Red Rocks Church. And I think our ears are awesome right now at all of our campuses this whole weekend. I think 
I think we are primed and ready for something new and something awesome. At all of our campuses, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to listen to me. If, if you're at any of our campuses and you say this, Chad, you say, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real short because we've, we've made the point. You know what you need to do right now. If you're at any of our campuses, you say, Chad, I have had one foot in and one foot out. I have constantly tried to let Jesus be a part. That's why you're at our, that's why you're at our service this weekend. You say, Chad, I've constantly tried to let Jesus be a part, but I've been too scared to let him take over. And he brought you here graciously this weekend, lovingly to say to you, until I take over, it's actually gonna go worse. He, he said, I'd rather you be cold than, than lukewarm. That's what Jesus said. I'd rather you run far from me. I can do more to get you back for real if you run far away from me than if you just keep playing this dance. If that's you and you know that's where you're at in life right now, don't be ashamed. This is a safe place. Every one of us in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're only here because we are products of a gift. You don't have to be ashamed. But if that's you, would you boldly right now raise your hand? God wants to do a miracle in your life. And he's going to. I, I say that in the name of Jesus. Secondly, this and most importantly, the reason we most do church right now, if you have never as Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart, you've never opened it up and said, come in and dine with me and you want to invite him into your heart. You need to know this before you raise your hand. Jesus said, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the only way we as sinners, humans, can be justified, there is only one way and it is through Jesus. There is only one name, the Bible says, under heaven with which men can be saved. One. There is no other way. Jesus said it himself in John 14. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And if you want that salvation, it says, confess your sins with your mouth and, and call out to God, and Romans says, he will save you. If that's you at all of our campuses, would you raise your hand right now? We wanna not only pray with you, we wanna celebrate with you. Keep them up, don't be ashamed. It's the best decision you'll ever make, I promise you. I did it 20 years ago. Keep it up. Awesome, awesome. I'm guessing at all of our campuses, a lot of people with their hands up. We're gonna pray and we're gonna worship as we walk out of these doors. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvations that have taken place. God, I thank you that, that we're gonna have miracles that came out of this weekend. God, I thank you that you are calling people in this place right now to slaughter some, some idols in their life that they have been given too much heart and too much attention to. You're not just gonna kind of deal with them, God. You're slaughtering them right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for that, Jesus. We pray all this and we dedicate this weekend to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's do this on our way out, guys. Let's worship like crazy. Come on.